Before we jump into today's episode, we want to talk to you about Internet Church. Rich, what is Internet Church? Oh, it's only the best internet gathering this side of the Kailua River. Is the Kailua River a thing? Maybe we should start over. <laughs> let's let's do it again. Ask me again. <laughs> no, let's leave it in. Now no, no, let's talk about Internet Church. Uh, internet Church. Actually, it's a thing we do every other Friday night where we all gather together, uh, encourage the saints in truth. It's uplifting. It's edifying. It's just a time to gather for about an hour on a Friday night or day, depending what part of the world you're in, just to be encouraged by the saints. You you think you would like something like that? Is the Pope Catholic? Uh, you bet your sweet bippy the Pope is Catholic. And uh, Justin, Internet Church is all about gospel freedom. It's good. I'm trying to think of the follow-up question. <laughs> oh, I'm like, man, this thing is lagging. Uh, all right. If No. Absolutely love it. So if you were going to... No. What are we going for? Are we trying to be funny or are we trying to be serious? I don't know. I I mean, whatever. I, we're trying to let people know that... Oh, <laughs> I'm not as gifted as you are in this department, my friend. So join us every other Friday night, 8 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern. If you are international and want to add that to your calendar so you don't have to do all the time conversions, head on over to lovereality.org slash circles and add the Internet Church Circle to your calendar. Welcome back to The Move, or have I been through the book 10 minutes at a time? I'm your host, Justin Koo, and in today's episode, we're looking at that one time in the Bible that Joseph becomes the vice president of Egypt. If you're wondering, what are we looking at? Genesis chapter 41, verses 37 to 57. My guest today is the absolutely stacked Mr. Yoked himself, Ben Williams. What's going on? Yes, Coming sir. back from the gym. How's it going? <laughs> Good. It's hard to walk to my car. You know, I'm still weak. So my muscles get fatigued very quickly. And then I make a, like, I almost fell over in the gym and I didn't even lift that much. So. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, you know, I had a pleasant surprise just the other day. Uh, Thursday nights in Kailua are pickleball nights. And lo and mm-hmm. behold, who shows up to the pickleball courts was none other than Pastor Ben Williams himself. Mm-hmm. And then I had the distinct pleasure of having you as my partner in a doubles game, of yeah. which we were soundly defeated by the Bald Eagle <laughs> yeah. and company. Yeah. I think we got like, it was, we lost what, 11 to 1? Yeah, yeah. But I, I just think it's important that we emphasize the one. We did not <laughs> we, get, it was just not a blowout. We, yeah, we, we at least scored. <laughs> we had that ability. Oh man, it was it was it was a tough time, but it's been good to be able to see you in the flesh. And now we get a chat about this passage today. Uh, we were looking over this passage, and you were saying that there was a connection here in this passage to the one or to the story of Adam. And I'd love to explore this. So, for context, Joseph is now out of the prison. Uh, <laughs> he was able to interpret the dreams, and all of a sudden, now he's given this this role of prominence. And Pharaoh's like, "Hey, you're number two in command. Everyone's going to pay attention to you. They won't." This basically, like you know, uh, Simon says, except for it's Joseph, no one will be able to lift up a hand. He says, unless you give them the okay. And so, sure enough, Joseph is made ruler. He takes care of all the grain, and they become very, very, very wealthy as a nation. And so you're saying this sounds a lot like the creation story, and I'm curious yeah. how that's the case. Yeah, so there's a lot of just things that seem reminiscent. For instance, um, it's all of, all of the land is Pharaoh's, and Pharaoh sees the merit in Joseph. And mm. so he starts saying things like, I'm going to put you 
over all of the land. The only one that you are under is me. And he says things like uh, in verse 45, and Joseph called, or in Pharaoh called Joseph's name. So there's this idea that Pharaoh is naming this being who he's putting in, in second in command, which is a lot like Genesis, as well as when Pharaoh sees Joseph, he, you know, at maybe some level he sees that he's lonely and he gives him a wife. Sure. And then what he puts him over the land for the purpose of him to take over the land, to steward it, to cultivate it, and to be the one that's actually producing, um, you know, wealth for Egypt. Mm. And some of us may not know this, but actually in the creation account in in the Garden of Eden, the idea is that God creates Adam and shows him the ideal of what the garden looks like with for the purpose of Adam going out and actually subduing the land and cultivating it and putting it into the same purpose that the garden is. Hmm. So the garden, when, when it's created, is only one section of land, but it's supposed to be able to affect all of the land around it through Adam's stewardship. Right. And so this is a similar thing here is Egypt has all of this status, all of this wealth, and he's putting Joseph in charge of it for the purpose of being able to reproduce that wealth and actually spread the dominion of Egypt over all of the land. Hmm. And so it's just this, it's a really interesting thing because from the very beginning, this was kind of the role that humanity was supposed to play. And it almost seems like because of Joseph's faithfulness and his, his just desire to actually follow God, he's starting to get back into that same role that God had always intended for man, which is to steward the earth, to actually reproduce, uh, like flourishing, not only for humans, but also for the land. And mm. I think this is something, and I don't know how, how uh, environmentally friendly you guys are. I, I love the environment. And maybe you think, <laughs> anyway, whatever you think, this idea is like from the very beginning and even now, like God has actually put in humans stewardship the environment. Like this is something we're supposed to be caring about. This is something we're supposed to be taking care of. And we always talk about loving one another and we're supposed to give God's love to other people. But also throughout scripture, we see this exact same thing for land and for animals. Like God wants us to actually give his love to the things that are under us. And this is why, I mean, getting into a lot of different things of like, even the Sabbath is a beautiful representation of our stewardship where we're supposed to give it to other people and also give it to like our animals in the land. And so, yeah, there seems to be a very close parallel between this passage and Genesis. It, it wouldn't be out uh, out of the realm of ordinary for the narrative uh, the narrative of the story to be compared to other characters in the Bible. That's something that we've seen time and time and time again. That the story of Cain and Abel, for example, seems to be mirrored by Jacob and Esau, and and so on and so forth. So, you know, I, I can see the connections here between you know the first Adam. And Joseph, who we might even want to call, wink, wink, the second Adam in this story, right? Like there's a there's a, a correlation of Joseph is fulfilling the role of what Adam maybe fell short on. And we get to see an example of what it could have looked like should hmm. should uh, Adam maybe had been more faithful in this realm. I'm wondering, though, um, be, beyond those just interesting comparisons, is this are, are, is there something about this story that stands either in in contrast, other than the fact that he's more faithful, is, is there something that's contrasting the original story of Adam that that's highlighted in this text here? Hmm. I don't know. Is there something that that you saw specifically that you're well, thinking of? I don't have anything specifically, man, but I, I do know one thing that was mentioned about Joseph that hasn't been mentioned about anyone else in the text so far is that Joseph, I think it's in verse 38, says, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously mm. filled with the Spirit of God? He is the first person to be considered to have been filled with God's Spirit. Yeah. 
What an interesting thing. And then like that's something that Pharaoh, this kind of like you could say very secular being who would, yeah. would have been at some level been considered even like a God himself acknowledges that there is a God greater than him. And whoever that God is that's greater than him is actually working in this individual. And he's saying, I recognize that and I need that for this <laughs> land. Yeah. It's, it sounds uh, reminiscent also of a future story that may be in mm. season 45 of the movie. I don't know which season, but Daniel, like Dab- yeah. Daniel in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, it's kind of a similar moment where there's, there's a dream that's interpreted. There's this opportunity for Daniel to step in and he's granted all of this favor and kind of rulership. And it's just, it's really interesting how when maybe, maybe this is a lesson to learn. Maybe this is something that's predictable that when we are faithful, God's favor does, uh, we, we get to experience God's favor in a characteristically different manner. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it seems like this is, I mean, this is the story of all of the New Testament as well. Like people are able to actually tap into the power of God by believing and having faith, hmm. right? Like if if all of these characters in the, in the New Testament weren't able to believe in who Jesus was, then they wouldn't have actually been able to experience healing. And so, I mean, in the same way, like we, we by believing in Jesus and who he is, actually get to tap into who he is within our own lives. Hmm. And it's, I think it's, it's not as much that like, me believing in him makes him smile and says, yeah, all right, I'll give you this. But it's actually like my belief in him lets me tap into who he is towards me in the same way of like, Justin, if you wanted to give me like a thousand dollars, yet I thought you were just like the meanest, grumpiest old man. And I avoided you all of the time. Hmm. Like I, I I wouldn't be able to benefit from the fact that you want to give me a thousand dollars. Whereas when I start to actually be able to believe in who you are and I can trust that. And so then I come around you and you're able to actually hand me a thousand dollars. I'm able to tap into like the relational treasure because I believe in who you are. And in the same way, it seems like people are able to actually experience God's faithfulness when they start to believe in him, not because Mm -hmm. God becomes faithful when we believe, but because we are actually able to interact and receive what he has always wanted to give us by believing in him. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, because we want to avoid the, the the mistake of saying, oh, the more I'm faithful, the more God loves me, the more I'm yeah. faithful to God, the, you know, the more blessings I will receive. Because I think this is actually one of the things that this text highlights is that God actually desires to cause the sun mm. to shine on both the righteous and the unrighteous, right? Like this is mm-hmm. a narrative that we see over and over in scripture that God actually cares about all people, not just his people. And so much to the extent that when he finds someone like Joseph, the goal isn't just to like help Joseph like become wealthy on his own, but mm. the goal is actually to utilize Joseph in such a way to position him in such a way that he's a blessing to all nations. And and this is kind of this Adam and Eve kind of motif where it's like, hey, you're not just here for your own self. It's not you're just on vacation, but theoretically you're supposed to be able to bless the entire world. And I think that's really beautiful to see here is that this is a blessing that's not just limited to Joseph himself, but uh, but all of Egypt, Pharaoh himself get to experience it firsthand. Yeah, I really like that. And I think it's really near and dear to my heart because I mean, if some of you guys don't know, I'm pastoring two churches on Maui and one of, one of these churches, we have a plot of land and, you know, we've had it for like 30 years and we haven't done anything with it. And like, what's really been on my heart and a lot of church members hearts is this idea to make this to be a community center where we're actually be able to bless the community in a lot of like need ways. Mm. And I think this is where we start to see this even in this story. I mean, if, if you think about it, Joseph doesn't really do anything spiritual with his new like found role. He like he doesn't church, say, is what you're saying. yeah, 
Yeah, like he doesn't get up front and says, all right, now I'm number two. Let's have a Daniel and Revelation seminar. Well, I, Daniel and Revelation weren't real back then. I get that. But he didn't start like preaching. What he started to do is actually use the things given to him to be able to affect and help the community all around him in a felt need way. And in that way, he's actually able to, yes, show who God is. But I think often in churches, we get so so bound up in this idea that like we just need to preach about Jesus and we forget that being able to affect the community in a powerful way that's towards their, their, their felt needs in the moment is super impactful and important. And I think what's really cool about this story, we were, we were talking a little bit at the beginning that this is a story that parallels what God has done in creation, but it also parallels what Jesus does when he yeah. comes. Yeah. Because in his faithfulness, he actually brings down the kingdom of God and he shows an example of what the kingdom is. And he's trying to spread that influence throughout the entire earth. And so a parallel between the Genesis story where, or the beginning of Genesis story, where he's saying, listen, this is what the garden looks like. Let's actually spread that influence. And the story here where he's saying, this is Egypt, let's spread that influence. And then when Jesus comes, he says, here's the kingdom, let's spread that influence. And it seems um, like in each way, it's less of a, let's preach about like this spiritual doctrine. And it's more about, let's actually just spread the love of the kingdom and spread human flourishing to everyone. And in that way, we draw people to the center of where human flourishing comes from, which from right. the beginning, it was from God himself. From here, it's the spirit of God. And with Jesus, it's literally the son himself. And so we almost even see like three phases of God trying to spread the image of who he is in these different stories. Hmm. But it's always the same goal is to actually spread love, or as we say in Hawaii, to spread aloha <laughs> to that. all people through being able to really affect their lives. And when we affect people's lives, like when I actually am able to help people flourish in their life, like they have a desire to understand where that flourishing comes from. And it always leads back to the center, which is always where God is. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it would seem as though that the way that Joseph went about things, he had an opportunity to just mm -hmm. hoard, right? Like this was actually yeah. something that he very much could have done. He could have piled up grain just for himself, keep it to himself and not actually worry about anybody else. Hmm. And it gets me to think about uh, a seminar that I sat through with Benjamin Lundquist, who you famously did that impersonation uh, 20 episodes or however long <laughs> apologies, ago. Apologies, apologies. There you go. <laughs> um, but we were sitting through uh, like a church growth seminar are kind of like a asking the question why do young people leave the 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 church kind of a thing and it was this 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 thread this this idea that you know church in many iterations and maybe too many iterations feels like we're storing grain for ourselves mm -hmm. and the way that this was brought to the forefront one question that was asked of the speaker was this idea of if your church closed tomorrow would your neighborhood even notice mm -hmm. and i think that that's a really fantastic way to kind of get to the heart of this definition of church, of, of, of or at least how we how do we define church? Because if church is the kind of thing where we hoard all of the resources, you know, we have potluck on whatever day and, you know, we hang out with each other and it's just like a good party just for those of us who are part of the, the cool kids club. But our next door neighbors, are we being a blessing to them? Do mm -hmm. they even care? I know that in Kailua, this is, um, you know, I, I, this is just an unfortunate reality of the, the close nature of property. But I know that on, on one or two occasions, the next door neighbors haven't been happy with the praise music coming out from yeah. the church just because it's loud. And especially this is like, you know, on odd events, they get the Saturday morning thing. But like, 
late Friday night, maybe mm-hmm. when people are just jamming out, maybe that's not the best way to be a good neighbor. And so not to say that that's specifically a fault or it, or it isn't, but to ask the question of what does it mean to be a good neighbor in our community as the church? Yeah, and I think like the church is supposed to be a place where blessings are literally flowing out from. Like it's supposed to be the actual center of communities mm-hmm. where you know that like, the streams of human flourishing within your community are coming from this place. And this place is where like God is preached. Yes. But also these people like genuinely care about the people all around them rather than mm-hmm. want to be. And this is where it's, it's interesting. Like, especially in the Adventist church, we have this idea of the remnant, right? And often people think that the remnant is about exclusivity, but actually I think that the remnant in every single story is about invitation. Like it's mm-hmm. always about being a center, calling people in rather than saying, we're separate. Don't mess with us. Don't corrupt us. It's actually about invitation. And mm. I think that that's what each of our churches need to be is community centers of invitation. Hmm. Maybe this is connected. Maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe it's a stretch. But in verse 45, there's something that's interesting. Pharaoh gives Joseph a new Egyptian name. I'm going to mm. make an attempt. Zaphanath Panea. I think I remember that from like the cartoons I remember hearing growing up. <laughs> but then it says he was also given a wife whose name was, was Asena. She was the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. I think that this is interesting. I'm curious what's here because it seems like up to this point, the narrative has very much been be separate in the sense that like when it comes to the lineage, when we're thinking about how the Messiah is going to come, there's been a lot of protection around where the lineage goes. Um, And now it seems like through the providence of God, Joseph is in a place of favor and now he has what could be constructed as a pagan wife. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And I mean, we knew, we do know that like the, the line of the Messiah is coming through Judah. Sure. Um, and so Joseph is maybe a little bit separate from that, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely interesting where the Bible will often say hard and fast rules about things. And then mm. you see people doing not that. and it almost seems like the bible is i mean even you see like often the bible say like hey if this person does this activity kill them but then (laughs) you over and over see people not killing the person who does said activity and it seems like often i mean this and this is my this is my perspective and, and maybe somebody has a different one that a lot of these like hard and fast rules that are um like come with these harsh harsh punishments are more for the benefit of understanding that like these things are not good for us and to stress the importance of them rather Mm. than to say that somebody should actually be stoned. Because for instance, like, I mean, it says like, if you're, if your son or your daughter is like disobedient, like you should take them out to the town square and everyone should stone them. And then you hang them from a tree. But (laughs) how many times do we see that happening? Zero. Yeah. And I think it's 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 less about like God trying to be harsh and angry and it's more about him trying to actually stress the results of sin. Like he's mm. trying to stress the result of separation from him is death. And even if humanly we aren't going to enforce that punishment, death actually does come from these things. And so even here I mean like I think that pro- would it have probably been better if Joseph was able to marry, you know, someone from the Israelite nation? Probably. Probably. But, he He's doesn't, Egypt. and yeah, he doesn't, and he makes the best of the situation, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting because this last weekend, I had some friends from California come over, and I, I don't know exactly how we got into the conversation, but we we were start, starting to talk about like dating and finding a spouse and all these different kinds of things, 
And, you know, we were talking about, or at least I was sharing from my personal experience, how for a large part of my Christian experience, I had very strict rules about who in my mind I was allowed to develop a romantic attachment towards. And I had a very long laundry list of things and characteristics that I thought that were super important to the extent that I almost like looked at anyone who didn't have those things as somehow less than. It wasn't just like I had a preference. It was that you know, these were the, the good and the right things and everyone else was, 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 was not good. And at some point, you know, God did soften my, my heart a little bit and change things around. And maybe not oddly enough, that's around the time I started to actually meet Emily and get to know her mm. and everything else like that. So there's definitely a, a quote unquote coincidence that happens there. But I started to think about that one story in the Bible where God, it sounds like the beginning of the next episode, that one time in the Bible mm-hmm. where God literally tells a prophet to go and marry a, a prostitute. Yeah. Like, yes, there are principles and there's rules and there's things that are important to be thinking about in life, whether it's romantic relationships or otherwise. And yet God seems to have the ability to know when to break the rule. Like they talk about like how in any good, like music, for example, you got to learn the rules so that way you know when to break the rules for the sake of a good composition of music. It almost seems like God is wanting us to, to learn something similar about life. Like there are good principles, there are good quote unquote rules to live by. And yet he's also giving us precedent of when, hey, I might be calling you to do something different. I don't know. Is that a stretch? No, I think I think that's real. And I, I think it takes a reframing of the mind to understand that like when God calls us to something, it is not for the purpose of him not killing us if we if we do it. Does that make sense? Like he's not saying like, hey, Ben, do this don't put your hand in that grinder or else I'm going to cut your head off. Like it's like he's like, hey, don't put your hand in that grinder because that's going to literally probably get infected and you're going to die. And we're like, oh, okay, so we don't, put, I don't put my hand in the grinder so that you're not mad at me. And he's like, no, no, it's, it's, it's because I actually made you and I know it's best for you. And we're like, mm. huh? All right. So if I don't put my hand in the grinder, then you won't kill me. And it's like, it's not about that. <laughs> like it's from the beginning. Like, I think there was a misconception about like God. And this is the misconception from the, from like the great controversy of like, God is arbitrary and he just is going to smite you if you do something wrong. And God is mm. saying, no, actually, I love you and I'm calling you to human flourishing. I'm calling you to yeah. the actual the actual epitome <laughs> of humanity. And we, yeah. we, we have this, we just keep going back to the same tendency to think that we are keeping rules in order to appease him. Mm. When in reality, the gift is he is trying to help us live a flourishing life full of yeah. love and lacking of destruction. Yeah, absolutely. And and this text shows that that's not only true for those who have the Spirit of God, as the text mm-hmm. points out, but also for literally everyone that comes yeah. into contact with those who have the Spirit of God, those who employ you, those who are in your community. And, and what we'll see, and I'm excited for this one, because in the next chapter, we'll also see how this applies to those who have wronged us, those mm. who have harmed us. God's desire is that we are a blessing to all people full stop doesn't matter what they have done, that we're able to live in such a way that we're still a blessing to those who have literally abused and, and wronged us. Mm. Um, and I think that's, to me, the emphasis is less on, I need to do all these things, but the emphasis is, look at this kind of God. This is the kind of God that exists, that, that is being mm-hmm. painted by the narrative of scriptures. Here's a God who loves all people because in his mind, you're his child. Yeah. Oh. Speaking of, I got a phone call. I'm going to take this one. We'll see you guys (laughs) in our next episode.